Hey everybody, it's Dr. William Clark here for Leadership Conversations. This is a show where we talk about leadership according to the world that matters to you. Now, a couple of shows ago, I talked to talked to you a little bit about sustainability and I was sharing a little bit about from my book, uh, The Principles of Sustainability. And in the middle of that uh, presentation, I talked quite a bit about chicken dinners and fish sandwiches and stuff like that and cupcake sales and car washes. And I wanted to come back to that topic and I uh, wanted to clarify something, but also walk you through um, some of my thinking around um, those particular fundraisers. Let me just say that those fundraisers uh, are typical nonprofit um, activities that we engage in because we know that if we get people to donate the supplies, etc., or even to make those products, etc., we can sell it and there's a profit in it. Um, the point I was making is that uh, those type of fundraisers are not sustainable. They don't lead to taking care of the needs of your organization. They don't lead to paying salaries. They don't lead to buying programs, significant and meaningful program supplies or program expenses. Uh, it may fill uh, a, a need, a small need here and there, um, but it doesn't really hit the hit the note that you're looking to hit when it comes to sustainability. Now, there's a caveat to that. The caveat is it might hit the note if your nonprofit or if your organization has um, a competency in that area. And that makes a difference because in the book, I talk about earned revenue strategies relevant to core competencies. Now, if your organization does have that competency in house, trust me, work it, it will work. But if you're doing these things as one-offs, a one-off bake sale, a one-off car wash, a one-off din chicken dinner sale, or even if you do it a couple of times a year, it's not going to make the difference that you need it to make. But I wanted to walk through an example of what it would look like to do chicken dinners in your organization. And I'm going to, for the YouTube uh, audience here, you'll be seeing me doodling um uh on the screen and for those who are listening to the podcast you can listen and i'll do my best to kind of explain um verbally what's going on and you can check it out on youtube later i wanted to walk through what it means to do um kind of these these type of fundraisers uh, meals sales cupcakes um car washes etc and and how to to view it as a possible sustainable practice for your organization okay the caveat is that there's competency in-house now competency speaks to the actual skill of running a business it speaks to knowing how to run the business you're getting ready to tap into it's knowing how to manage resources effectively if you've never ran a business other than a nonprofit, you might want to get some help okay now running a nonprofit alone is a form of a business and if you've mastered it you can pretty much run any type of business um that 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 you're aware of and that you know about but quite frankly just like in a nonprofit world, nonprofit business management principles are somewhat unique to our marketplace. 
And unless you have a broader business mindset that crosses over all business barriers or marketplace barriers, you're going to need some help. Now, before I jump into um, this example, let me just share a little bit from someone uh, that I respect a lot. And that person is Dr. Jeroboshi. Now, he wrote a book um, talking about the eight principles for nonprofit entrepreneurs. This little book, when I first got my hands on it, was a game changer in my research and in my writing. And this book was published in 2001, well before I jumped on this as a focus area of my work. And so to read about this man's writings, his research, his philosophies, uh, the case studies he's produced, the articles he's written, it was a game changer for me. And in the book, he talks about a couple of principles, eight of them exactly, that are essential for nonprofits to manage and master as they become more entrepreneurialistic. Okay. And I want to review them quickly with you. Then I'll go into the example that we have uh, for the chicken dinner. Number one, earned income is paramount. You can pursue all the grants you want. You can uh, chase after funders. You can try to sell yourself as the best nonprofit in the world. That is great. And you need to do that. Don't don't get me wrong. You need to do that. But Dr. Boshi says, and I co-sign this wholeheartedly, earned income is paramount. You need to learn how to earn money from some sort of service or product that you're selling, that you're pricing in the marketplace, that you're selling in the open market. Number two, be a player or don't play at all. Okay, you can't dabble into chicken dinners every once in a while and think you're going to make something happen. You can't do it for a year and get out and think you're going to make something happen. And I'm talking about a year straight, 12 months out of the year, almost 365 days out of the year. You cannot be sometimesy with this earned income strategy. You can't do car washes once a week or once every two weeks. No, that's not how that business works. You can't cut hair once a week once every two weeks once every three weeks and think you're gonna make a difference just like for just like the person who uh does hair on the side just like the person who cuts grass on the side just like the person who fixes cars on the side and they do it every now and again they know that they can do it but they really don't make enough money to make it a full-time profession until they quit their day job and they go into their side hustle full time. And that's when they get to see the benefits of their side hustle becoming their everyday job. That they're able to leverage the skill that they've developed to earn themselves significant revenue. So don't be a player or don't play at all. Number three, start a business venture. Starting a business venture is not the only path to success. Man. <laughs> He is saying you don't always have to start a business from scratch in order to be successful. Perhaps, perhaps your nonprofit could become an investor in a business that's already in existence, that's already performing, that's already up and running. And your nonprofit can reap the benefits of being an investor of an existing business. I can go on for days 
about that topic. You don't always have to start a, a car wash business from scratch. You don't always have to start a chicken dinner business from scratch. Maybe there's a popular business in your community. Everybody knows their name. Everybody loves their chicken. Everybody loves their mac and cheese and their collard greens and their cornbread. And perhaps they may need a little money to get through this season or they need a new roof. They need a new stove and they don't have the extra money to do it. And you look at the numbers and you say, I can make that investment and I can get a return on my investment at this rate and get my money back by this time. Wouldn't that make sense as opposed to starting a business from scratch? I'm just saying. I don't know. Number four, unrelated business activities are dangerous. This this goes back to core competency. If you do things out of your skill set, it is dangerous. If you don't have people on staff who can do the business or manage the business that you're getting ready to start, it is dangerous. It is no different from being a nonprofit that serves youth, but all of a sudden you want to be a nonprofit that serves puppies. What? <laughs> no, there's no correlation there. It's the same thing in business. If you serve youth, you want to start a youth-related business about or for or with the youth. You just don't want to do anything other than that. It's just completely dangerous. Dr. Boshi's right. Uh, number five, be patient and don't run out of money. Manage your money right. <laughs> we'll go on. <laughs> uh, number six, recognize the difference between innovators, entrepreneurs, and professional managers. When you're hiring staff, who are you hiring? If you're going to start a particular business, who are you hiring? Are you hiring an innovator in the business? And if you're hiring an innovator, what type of investment is that going to require from you? Because innovators, they they can blow through money. They're creating new things. They're testing new ideas. They may be first to market or new to the market. But how much did it cost you to get to that that position? Versus are you hiring an entrepreneur someone who knows how to run a business, start a business, manage a business, sell a business? Versus a professional manager, a GM who knows how to just manage. You got to be careful of who you're hiring when you start your business. Number seven, the nonprofit culture can get in the way. Oh, my goodness. Did this <laughs> nonprofits are notorious for not necessarily mismanaging money. I don't mean it that way, but we don't ask for money the right way. We don't ask for enough money when we do fundraise. We don't go to the right resources. We get timid when it comes to money. We're bashful about turning us telling our story. We're bashful about telling how good we are. We're bashful about telling how much progress we've made. We're bashful about what what it really costs to do business. We're bashful about saying, "Hey, we got this gap and we need X Y Z dollars from you. How can you help us fill that gap?" We're bashful when it comes to business practices and if that is your nonprofit, that is going to destroy your business because now you're saying to a funder we 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 only need five thousand dollars but reality is you have a hundred thousand dollar gap and that funder has the capacity to either fill a hundred of it a hundred percent of it or at least 75 percent of it and you're only asking for five thousand that's crazy so what when we have a bake sale and the cupcakes are like three dollars you're going to sell it for 150 a dollar because somebody doesn't have enough no, when you run a business, there are no discounts. There are no family and friends discounts. I know what it's like to go to the big box store and try to use that coupon and get that discount and get the hookup. When you are running a small business, hookups are less likely to happen. Yes. <laughs> Do not let the culture get in the way. Oh, my goodness. And remember the Noah principle. 
Noah from the Bible. Remember the Noah principle. When when you are Noah, if you know the story, Noah received a revelation from God that is going to rain and flood. And he was building this big old ship for years and nothing happened. And because nothing happened, people started talking about him and ragging on him and teasing him. And he stayed focused. He didn't let anything or anybody distract him. The Noah principle is I am not distracted by my peers who may be laughing at me, who may not be adjoining me in this effort, who may not be doing the same thing I'm doing. I know the necessity of starting this business. And I've looked at the seven principles of Dr. Boshi and I'm not distracted. And even though the competition isn't doing this, doesn't mean I'm on the wrong track. Nope. Because one day Noah found out and so did everybody else. It rained. And it didn't stop. And all of a sudden, the crazy guy who looked crazy building a ship to withstand a 40-day flood was all of a sudden a genius, a prophet, a foreseer, had foresight. <laughs> As a nonprofit, you got to have that Noah principle down pat. So now, thanks to Dr. Boshi, we got our principles down pat. Let's walk through this example. Let's do chicken dinners <laughs> and i'm doing this off the top of my head so i don't have all the details um i have enough i think to kind of walk through this the first tip i wanted to share with you was the principles from dr boshi we just went through them excellent principles I encourage you to get the book it will change the way you look at nonprofit businesses and nonprofit entrepreneurship the second principle i want to share with you is to know your numbers in any business no matter what the business is no matter what you're selling you got to know your numbers you got to know exactly what it costs how much you're making and what's left over so let's kind of walk through this principle together let's start with what it costs now what are you going to pay for in chicken dinners you gotta pay for the meat right you gotta have the main meat that's attracting people to come to your business you gotta have your sides all right your collard greens your macaroni and cheese your string beans or cabbage etc you gotta have a bread or so right so when we talk about bread we're talking about uh cornbread or a roll you gotta have dessert you gotta have drinks okay you got to have uh, supplies that includes containers and silverware and cups and utensils, etc. All right. Now, these are food related expenses. There are other expenses, friend, that we need to consider. You got staff expenses that include your cook or cooks. You got your preparers, people who prepare the food. And you got your frontline staff who interfaces with the customer. The next expense you have is you got to have cash on hand. Okay. The next expense you got to have is a cash register. Okay. The next expense you got to have is utilities. This is where you get kills, right? Because 
if you're running a, a, a restaurant, a quick service restaurant or a sit down service restaurant or any other type of service restaurant, you got utilities, you got expenses that are associated with that. Right. So if you're cooking all day, you're going to be expending gas and electricity and you're going to have water expenses. OK. And you multiply that times 30 days or 31. Let's do 30 days in a month. That's 30 days of hardcore utility expenses. And, and we don't even know what that's going to cost because it depends on the size of the shop or the outfit that you have. There are some restaurants that are literally holes in a the wall. There's some restaurants that are a little bit bigger than a hole in a the wall. There are restaurants who have some sit down areas. It just depends on how much space you got. There's no way to calculate that. And even if you're using a church basement, if you have a commercial grade kitchen, again, you got to look at what you're using in that kitchen and any other areas, right? Depending on what you got, you may have bathroom facilities for customers to use or not. You may have other utilities going, right? If you're cooking in the wintertime, you got your heat going to keep it cool, uh, warm uh, in the area where customers are coming in. If it's summertime, you got to uh, have an air conditioner going to keep it cool where customers are coming in. Utilities are going to kill you. And let's say for the sake of argument, the last thing we're going to cover in terms of expenses is marketing. So we got food costs, we got staff costs, we got cash on hand, we got a cash register system, um, which is tied to the bank. We'll leave it there. We got utilities and we got marketing. Those are your major expenses. How much does it cost for all of that? Now, for some of you, you may say, well, you could take out staff because we got volunteers. You could take out a cash register because we use an old school uh, kind of a metal can thing. And uh, marketing will keep that at a minimum because we're just making a couple of flyers. Oh, okay. Now, I don't know how successful that's going to be, but okay. But let's go back to the food expenses. How much does the meat cost? Guys, you have to have a goal in mind of what you're trying to sell, how much you're trying to make. And based upon that, that will determine how much meat you're going to be buying, how much fish, how much chicken, chicken pieces, chicken wings, legs, thighs, breast, or just one of those options only. How does that affect your bottom line costs? What about buying all your sides? Are you going to buy cornbread pre-made? Are you going to make the cornbread on site? What about desserts? Are you going to buy them pre-made or on site? Now, the difference between buying them pre-made is that you may be paying a premium because you may be buying them from someone or her. You may be saying, oh, we got someone volunteering to make them. Okay. <laughs> Still, they got to package them, right? They may ask you to cover the cost of packaging. What about delivery? Gas. Drinks. Are you going to make drinks on site? Are you going to buy drinks? Drinks meaning lemonade or tea or Kool-Aid or whatever. Are you going to make it? And if you're going to make it on site, you got to buy the supplies. Or are you just going to buy it? Buy the whole thing put together and buy bottles, which, again, is an expense. But you may say, well, we've got somebody to do that. Okay. And then what about supplies? Containers, utensils cups foil plastic wrap we got volunteers to buy that too 
Okay, so let's assume you got volunteers to make the cornbread, make the desserts, buy the drinks, and buy the supplies. You still have to buy sides and meat. You may be arguing with me right now and say, nope, we got volunteers to buy the meat and the sides. Okay, so let's assume you're able to do that. And I'm going to get back to that in a minute. Let's assume you're able to do that. You're still going to run utilities all day and all week or however long you're going to be doing this business while you're making the food on site. If somebody buys the meat and you make it on site, you're running utilities. If somebody buys the ingredients for the sides, you're going to be making them on site and spending utilities. Even if you got volunteers working behind the kitchen, even if you got donors buying the supplies and stuff, you're still going to be having major expenses at the end of the month that you're going to have to pay for. And depending on how much investment your your donors are making they may not buy enough for you to make enough that will make it worth it at the end of the month so let's say your volunteers buy or your donors buy $500 worth of meat okay that will net you double or triple the cost so let's say it nets you $1,500 um, in sales because it was $500 worth of meat for the sake of argument okay and you were deep frying the fish, deep frying the chicken. You didn't pay for it, but you're, you're deep frying it. And let's say at the end of the month, you get all your utility bills and your utility bills are, for the sake of argument, $5,000. Now, mind you, if you're a church or a nonprofit that already uses your utilities during the week for programming or services, etc., you're adding on to your utility expenses by way of being in the kitchen. Okay, so your utility bill at the end of the month came up to $5,000 a month combined, and that may be conservative or aggressive, but just for the sake of argument, $5,000 a month. Remember, you only made $1,500 per day. Let's say you did this four times a month, okay? You did four sales a month, and you made $1,500. That puts you at $6,000 in profit. Man, that $6,000 sounds amazing. Because we didn't have $6,000 before. Here's the problem. You got a $5,000 utility bill. You subtract uh, $5,000 from $6,000. You get $1,000 left. So you did all that work. You spent all that money. And you only made $1,000? That doesn't make sense. Because if you had donors donate $500 over a four-week period to buy meat. And all you made was $1,000? You could have taken that meat investment and just put it in a savings account because if the donor paid $500 for four weeks that's two grand you could have made double with less work or no work at all same thing you could have saved the money on the sides the cornbread the desserts the drinks and the supplies your your volunteer cooks they could have just donated money instead of volunteering their time over a four-week period and you would have made way more than a thousand dollars and your utility bills would have never grown the question you got to ask yourself is when you're doing these one-off fundraisers, car wash, bake sales, uh, chicken dinners, etc., what's the true value in it? You will gross a nice sum of money, but the expense is crazy. And I'm only assuming you got donors to pay for all of the expenses. Now, if you got donors to pay for the expenses for, say, four weeks, you got donors to pay for expenses for six months, 12 months? That's hard. 
that and quite frankly it's not the best use of your donors it might be in your best interest to just take the investment the donors were going to make in supplies and just add it to the fundraising bank account and try to get more donors to invest the same way that means you got to change your, your your way of thinking to see people to see people differently to treat them as investors into your work or your program and not your fundraising scheme at some point donors get fatigued too especially if they're spending all this money just to see a thousand dollar profit i could just give the base of what i normally give and we make more money we can do more so when i talked about chicken dinners when i talked about car uh, car washes and cupcake sales you can do a one-off and find reasonable success and if you keep doing it it really isn't getting or adding anything to the bottom line of your nonprofit. it isn't the goal is to be sustainable to generate earned income that has a meaningful profit margin depending on the business the profit margin should be 40 50 percent plus plus because you need to have cash on hand any event the business goes south or things change and if it doesn't change and just grows that means your profitability grows that means your bank account grows that means the number of programs you can fund and support grows the number of customers you can serve grows you need that profit margin the profit margin is the difference between expenses and income and that 40 50 60 percent makes the difference even when you're submitting a grant application if all you're covering all your core programmatic expenses but you're not covering any other expenses that have an impact on the program you're doing your program a disservice this is not a criticism this is an observation of our nonprofit community when we don't think broader when we're not creative and innovative remember dr boshi said you don't always have to start a business and see that as the pathway to success maybe just maybe instead of having your donors buy chicken dinner supplies let's say your donors over a one month period instead of buying chicken dinner supplies invested in your organization five thousand dollars a month and do it over 12 months that's sixty thousand dollars and let's say you told your investors that with that sixty thousand dollars your goal is to invest in an existing business that is profitable that is popular and that will open doors to get the youth in your program to obtain real world working experience and the investment of $60,000 will get you a 20% stake let's say 25% stake in the local restaurant the local barbershop the local car wash facility in your community that has been operating for X number of years generating X number of hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue and is successful and is looking for new partners 
What if that was your pitch? What if that was the outcome after 12 months as to why you were raising money? And what if you can sell to your investors that their $60,000 was going to have a meaningful return on investment? Not only are, are is the money going to come back to the nonprofit over and over and over and over. Did I say over and over and over again? And over again. One more time. And over again. That $60,000 is going to multiply. But... Out of the deal, you've negotiated placement opportunities for your young people. Remember, you're getting funded to serve young people. And you need to obtain placement results for the sake of argument for your young people. That means your funders are going to get satisfied. That means you're earning revenue from your funders. That means your investors are going to get satisfied. Your clients, your young people are going to get satisfied. The nonprofit is satisfied. The community is satisfied. All your stakeholders have their needs met because you raised money the smart way, invested it in a smart business, and it had the dual impact of earning revenue and meeting programmatic goals. That's the goal, folks. That is the essence of what I'm sharing God bless you all who are using chicken dinners and cupcake sales and car washes I will support those and continue to support those but if you're looking to move the needle if you're looking to make a difference in your nonprofit operations and sustaining your nonprofit consider what I shared in this podcast This is Dr. William Clark for Leadership Conversations. We'll see you in the next show. Peace.